All right, thank you, John. I am Chris Cuomo, and welcome to Primetime. A new battle to make tougher gun laws a reality. This time it's in Virginia. Twelve were murdered Friday. And already, lawmakers have taken sides. They haven't even started the discussion yet. Senator Cory Booker wants to be your leader, and he says he knows what to do about gun violence. What are his ideas, and how can he get something done? And are tariffs on Mexico one reckless move too many for GOPers? A meeting with senators was called a cluster beep and a lot of noise in the House, but will the party really go against POTUS? GOP Congressman Clay Higgins is back on primetime. He has a take from inside the game. Speaker Pelosi's got her own fires to put out on impeachment. The more this POTUS blocks Congress, like his latest move to keep the House alumni silent, the more her members say it is time to drop the hammer. And a special closing argument. Cuomo primetime celebrates its first year. Thank you. What do you say? Let's get after it. Our president is lying and tweeting, and it seems a number of GOPers are a little bit tired of it. One GOP Senate aide described today's meeting between White House officials and Republican senators about these Mexican tariffs as a cluster beep. Mitch McConnell, more diplomatic, but pretty direct. There is uh, not much support in my conference for tariffs, that's for sure. Will you try to block those tariffs? Well, what what I'm telling you is we're hoping that that doesn't happen. Mm. In London, the president tried to keep calm and, you got it, carry on. What do you think of Republicans who say that they may take action to block you imposing those tariffs? No, I don't think they will do that. I think if they do, it's foolish. Uh, There's nothing more important than borders. I've had tremendous Republican support. Except attacking Bette Midler in the middle of the night in the UK. Have you seen his latest tweet? I'll leave you to it. More important back here. Conservatives like Ted Cruz are worried. There's talk of a disapproval resolution from Republicans. The president may have hit his own wall as he tries to put the squeeze on Mexico. GOP Congressman Clay Higgins sits on the Homeland Security Committee. Good to have you back on primetime, sir. Chris, good to be with you, sir. All right, let's start big and get to uh, more of the small issues of politics. Tariffs on Mexico as a way of getting better results on immigration. Yes or no? And perhaps to get USMCA passed. The border security is certainly of primary importance. It's what the president is focused on. Nobody wants tariffs, but the president uses them as leverage very well. I think as we move forward over the next 30, 60 days, we'll see some results. And perhaps some of my colleagues that are on the fence about UCMCA and, and border security will, will move towards the, towards the side of protecting America. Why do the tariffs in your opinion, work well. I guess you're referring to China. We haven't seen any results yet that those would be good. We just had to backfill with the farmers. And here, the concern is that it may derail the new trade agreement with Mexico because they may be less likely to approve it. Where's the upside? Could be. There's a certain amount of poker going on. And I have confidence that uh, at the highest levels of negotiation, including the Secretary of State meeting tomorrow, uh, we'll see movement on on a new and improved NAFTA to USMCA, and I believe border security will will be improved 
and embraced in some way in a bipartisan manner. Not with conservatives as myself would want, but, but not at the level of open borders and, and lack security as some of my colleagues across the aisle call for. Well, anybody who's asking for open borders in America is going to be a loser. It's about how to do it. Something that's been perplexing us on the show, Congressman, help me with this. Yes, sir. The right and the left, every time I say to them, pass an emergency bill, push the president, get DHS the accommodations they mean, your committee, they're begging for help to house and treat these kids. The Republicans say the Democrats won't let us do it and we need rule changes. And the Democrats say they're asking for so much and they don't want to help the kids. Nothing gets done. Why no Mm. emergency measure? There's a lot of posturing going on in this town, as you're very familiar with. And uh, it's unfortunate, and the American citizenry suffers. The the actual physical security of our border is reflective of our commitment to maintain the sovereignty of our nation. And this security is layered. There's There's no one single answer. This is why we need 21st century technology to detect an illegal crossing, 21st century enhanced physical barriers to delay or deter that physical crossing, and enhanced capacity to respond and to process the, the children of God that do cross over, who have a certain amount of, 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 of rights, and they, they, they should be given right to due process regarding the, the criminal act that they're accused of. And they're taking care of the kids and the family units that are coming over. You know, my friends down there, brother, they've been begging for, for months, yeah. for, for two it's years. It's not on them. People Please are going to blame them. what we need. I've had it people should, on the shouldn't left be say a partisan me, issue. I've had people on the left say to me, in, in Congress and otherwise, hey, we got to look at CBP and DHS and find out why these kids are dying. No, no, no. We haven't had a single finding of fact yet. If they are, if they come out, I'll change my posture. But this is not about how CBP or DHS is trying to treat people. This isn't about guards kicking people in the ribs until they don't breathe anymore. This is about begging for help with resources and not getting it. How many do you think and- have to die before people in Congress will come together? What do you think the number is? You're well, at six, seven now. What do you think? Twenty? One would. One would hope none, my friend. That's it. You already had seven a, and nothing's happened. Well, I wouldn't say nothing's happened. I would say no results have been seen out of this gridlock Congress. We have an incredible amount of obstructionism happening here. You know this to be true. Now, I have friends across the aisle that one-on-one, we, we, we can agree on a path forward to, t- to, to properly and, and in a humanitarian way care for the, the children of God that are illegally crossing our borders, while at the same time secure our borders and fix the loopholes in the law to stop the magnets. But, the, but as, a, as a party... We find ourselves, let me not be judgmental here. I like you, we're ideologically, you know, we have variances, do we not? But let me just say that both parties are, are, are over-postured for 2020 mm. as opposed to seeking results for the American no, citizens that. that we serve. I hear you on that. For Clay, the only party for me is on Friday night after the show. But l- let me <laughs> ask you this. Uh, let me get your take on this as former law enforcement. So Parkland happens. The school resource officer, former mm. deputy sheriff, is outside. Uh, he has now charged multiple counts in connection with not going in and doing something. They're various counts, but they all lead back to the same nucleus of fact, which is he didn't do what he was supposed to do. His defense is... I thought the shots were coming from outside, not inside. Do you think charging the officer is the right move? Well, I've never seen charges like this. However, I have to tell you that that his actions were contrary to everything that I experienced. I was a SWAT guy for 12 years. 
and uh, ever since Columbine, the, the old training ended where, where, where perimeter officers would stand by and wait for SWAT to enter. When you hear shots, you go in. If you're not sure where the shots are coming from, this is a momentary decision. But if you're guarding a school and the children and the staff are inside, that's where you go because you've already called for your backup. You know there's other units en route. In fact, everybody is coming, and they're coming from the outside. So if you're the guy on point, you go inside. I think that to wait two, three seconds is two or three seconds longer than I would have waited had I been standing there. Clay Higgins, thank you very much for your perspective on the law enforcement issue and what's going on inside of Congress. You always have a home here to tell us what's going on in the interest of the American people. Thank you, Chris. God bless you and your viewers. Thank you. Be well. All right. So five dozen House Democrats. Now we're looking at the problems on the other side of the ball. Okay, five dozen now say it's time to impeach. Let's start an inquiry. Speaker Pelosi still says no. But there's a perception out there that this is this fight. It's a little misleading. You need to know the facts and where we are historically in terms of what's going on right now. It's not as simple as people are making it for you. Next. The self-styled, most transparent White House ever extended its record of blocking congressional requests by barring Hope Hicks and Annie Donaldson from giving full cooperation to Congress. So House Democrats are lining up more contempt charges, which have so far, let's be honest, failed to produce anything. What is the effect of this protracted inaction, making impeachment more or less likely? Too many have quick answers, but let's test the situation, shall we? The denials are goading Democrats. Each day, more get on the dump Trump train. 59 at last count. Look at all those faces in different places. Looks very impressive until you step back and realize what slice that is. 59 of 235 Democrats in the House. Now, some say those 59 say this isn't just an end. This is a beginning of a process. They want to lay out the case for you so you can signal your enthusiasm. This is the Nixon nexus, okay? They're hoping that this would be like Watergate, those hearings that led to this huge spike in public support for impeaching Nixon. But here's my problem with that. It's not apples to apples, all right. There was no Mueller probe that had bathed the nation at that time in information and theories for many, many months. There was no Twitter. There was no Trump, for that matter, or the Trump trio over on Fox, you know, helping to sell his message every night. That wasn't happening in the 70s. And most people weren't following Watergate until the hearings started. And remember, what did they find in those hearings? The president was involved in a serious felony, a burglary. All right. So you've been hearing about Trump and Russia for more than two years now. Public support for impeaching this president is pretty much where it was a year ago. Now, 41 percent is getting a lot of notice. 41 percent. Look, it's gone up. That's a lot of people. Is it or does it speak to the general nature of divide in this nation? Look back at President Obama. He was at 33 percent at this point in his presidency in 2014. They weren't thinking of impeaching him. But look how many people wanted that. Look at George W. 30 percent. Why? It's a negative indexing of how people feel. This is your anti-factor. Another thing that's different from Watergate, these 23 people, all of them wanting to run against this president, all of them wanting to make a case to those motivated to remove him. Begin impeachment proceedings now against this president. This president must be held accountable. 
know, the bet is that you guys love strength and this is strength. Harshness is strength. So while most voters nationally do not want to impeach, the vast majority of Democratic primary voters do believe the president should be removed from office. Now, remember that phrase. That's a high bar. Removal. What happens if you impeach but don't remove? That brings us back to where we started. This president. This idea that he's goading Congress and putting them where he wants, I don't know. He should know a thing or two about supporting impeachment. Five years ago, he was a private citizen tweeting about impeaching the president. Are you allowed to impeach a president for gross incompetence? Irony aside, uh, you know why? Because the power to shift opinions here. This president's going to have a huge role. Forget about the documents that Hope Hicks may have. I don't see that as a smoking gun. I'm sure you don't either. The biggest factor is going to be him. The more this president acts with blatant, flagrant disregard for the constitutional and institutional checks and balances, the more he becomes exactly the kind of person many of you may want to see impeached. So will Speaker Pelosi's hesitation right now pay off or backfire? We've got new faces for the great debate. Ooh, they're good looking. Let's see how their brains work. Next. All right, so first it was Don McGahn, the former White House counsel. Now it's Hope Hicks and Annie Donaldson, former White House officials who are defying Democratic subpoenas. Why? Because the White House is telling them to. Democrats are calling this more obstruction. So here are our questions. Is the Trump administration actually helping the case for impeachment? And do they really think that if impeachment happens, it's a good thing for them? That is a great debate. Let's have it. We have Jenk. Uger and Patrick Griffin. New faces in a new place. Great to have you on our one-year anniversary, no less. You are a gift to me. All right, let's begin this. Patrick, I start with you. Make the case. Why is this okay, this latest pushback by the White House? Well, I think, Chris, more than anything else, uh, whether or not this is uh, any of this is covered under executive privilege, that'll be debated later. The politics of this, as you point out, is what's very interesting. The president's going to travel this country and going to point to Washington. He is the incumbent president. This is hard to imagine. And he's going to run again as an outsider, the great disruptor in chief. And he's going to tell people that the Democrats in Washington can do nothing but chase me down rabbit holes and try to delegitimize my presidency. I think what he's counting on is that is not a sustainable narrative for Democrats, but it works really well for him in places like Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. Rust Belt states where he won electorally because Democrats didn't make the case. Jenk says no way. Yeah, no, of course not. (laughs) So first of all, he's a deeply unpopular president. He's never gotten above 50%. People forget how unpopular he is. All other presidents have been way past this number for a long, long time. He's never gotten past 50. He's at 43 and he's celebrating. So he's not going to do well in Michigan. He's not going to do well anywhere. And what is he going to say he did? Is his big bragging rights, I got tax cuts for the rich and for big business? Whoop-de-doo. So that's not going to play well in any of those states. In regards to the impeachment, I'm curious, Patrick. Nancy Pelosi tells me that you guys are looking forward to it. So do you want us to impeach Donald Trump? Say it right here on national TV. I think Nancy Pelosi, if she wasn't as smart as she is, should be goaded into letting her caucus lead her down that rabbit hole of impeachment. So do you want Donald it? Trump do you think Donald Trump should be impeached? Donald Trump would love that. And here's the okay, thing. Okay, but would you Even love it? Do you think Donald Trump should be impeached? is going to do well with that when you try and sell it to the mainstream of America. I am going to sell it. There's nobody out there who gets this except you. You're going to try and do it. Do Hasn't you, worked so but you're far. Patrick. 
It doesn't do seem you to be want a Donald Trump strategy. Because I hear from the Democratic leadership that you want Donald Trump impeached. Is that true? Do you want him impeached? I think the Democrats should try to make their entire campaign about impeaching Donald Trump. Okay, great. And they will then you fail want miserably it. Okay, as they did with news. Hillary Clinton. That's precisely what they should do. <laughs> and one of the things that's fascinating about this, Jank, is that Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump, we can both disagree with them. And I disagree with both on a lot of things. But I'll tell you this. Nancy Pelosi and Donald Trump politically are playing three-dimensional chess while everybody else is playing checkers here. That's why the speaker has not moved to impeach this president. Okay, and Don she probably won't. Donald Trump couldn't play two-dimensional chess. Uh, so Donald Trump has no. never thought one You've been step saying ahead that for in a long his time. life. No, I haven't. Uh, you guys have been saying this for Patrick, a long time. And Donald Trump is... All right, go ahead, so, Patrick. One at a time. Go ahead, Jake. Right, What's your counter? So, first of all, Donald Trump is grossly incompetent. Patrick, do you know how many bankruptcies he has? If you guessed four, you'd be wrong. Not even five. He's got six bankruptcies. He's never thought one step ahead in his life. Total loser through and through. And if you're saying to me, hey, Nancy Pelosi is <laughs> not much of a strategist either, I would agree. But somehow you think she's great. And that makes no sense at all. By the way, Nancy Pelosi, Republicans think you're great. That should be a note to you. What? On the issue of impeachment, it's a matter of principle. <laughs> if you let Donald Trump get away with two clear felonies, obstruction of justice and uh, campaign finance violations, then Nancy Pelosi would prove Donald Trump right that he could shoot someone on Fifth Avenue and get away All with right, it. All right, one point of pushback so, for each of you. So Jenk, hold my... on a second, Patrick. I got one for each of you. Jenk, uh, on your thing, so that's what you think it is. At the end of the day, if the Democrats don't go down that road of accountability, let's call it, because impeachment is going to be a process, but it's about accountability, you believe they lose their own party that the party will say, you didn't do what we put you there for. Is that your argument? So there's two points, Chris, and it's a great question. First is, as a matter of principle, if you have a president who says he's above the law and he's broken two uh, uh, clear felonies, like I said, broken two laws, well, you must act. If you don't act, you're abdicating your responsibility, and, it, and, and it's a violation of your oath to the Constitution. If a, can you imagine if a prosecutor said, well, look, uh, the guy's clearly broken the law, but for my own political career, I'm not going to prosecute him. Well, we that just kind of saw that, not with the career part, but with Mueller. You know, he had a pretty tortured explanation of why he wasn't allowed to come to a conclusion. Yeah, so and it I'm muddied not the whole thing. Chris, I'm not sure I agree with his explanation, but what he did say was, he said, in his interpretation, he's not allowed to indict a sitting True. president, which he then said, I'm telling you that he's not innocent, which mm. means that Congress must act. And in fact, in the Mueller report, he talks about the correct body to act in this case is Congress. The reason he did that press conference, and he probably can't believe the Democrats are not impeaching. He's like, look, I gave you 10 separate instances of obstruction of justice. Well, he's he going to get his chance. He's going to get his chance before him. We'll see what he says. But let me bounce the ball back to you, Patrick. Here's something I don't understand with you with the analysis in terms of how it matches to the actions. I'm with you in terms of if this is the best they got, that they impeached me, I'm in good shape. Somehow someone found a way to make Donald Trump a victim. But... By obstructing the process, I think the president is undercutting his own argument that if he's got nothing to hide, if he's just a victim, why doesn't he comply with the process? Chris, you just asked a logical question. I've been trying to figure Donald it Trump happens. out Once for in a very while, long it's really time the as a Republican. Anything else. But the bottom, hang on, you had a chance to talk. G give me a chance to talk. The, the bottom line here is. This is inexplicable. We, we cannot have any clear understanding of why Donald Trump behaves the way he does. The bottom line is wait, the what? Mueller report fell with a thud. Hold on a second. It fell what with you, a wait, thud. Wait, hold on, hold on. Patrick, help me understand your point for the audience. You're new. 
What do you mean it's unexplicable or inexplicable that we can't understand why the president does what he does? What is he, one of the fates? No, that, that's not, maybe I didn't make myself clear. Go ahead. The fact that Donald Trump became president is oh. inexplicable to an awful lot of Democrats. As a matter of fact, most of them still don't accept the fact that he beat Hillary Clinton. Second of all, Donald Trump's behavior in spite of himself, he continues to be president and continues to defy every single odd. Donald Trump's got 41, 42 percent of this country who, as he said, will be with him always. The other thing that I think is fascinating is there's a bunch of people out there who are independents who came his way in an election. I think what's critical is you just don't hold the base. Trump's base is riled up enough. Independent voters are not going to put up with this foolishness from the Democrats who have nothing to do but chase Donald Trump around a swamp in right, well, Washington let's, let's and leave, try let's to Let's leave it there him. and see how the polls show the story. We've got to remember, 42 ain't 50. He lost the popular vote the last time. It's going to come down specific places and specific faces. We'll see how it goes. Got to say, the rust I like Chris, this. I think. Patrick Griffin, I liked having you on. Cenk Uger, we've been talking for a long a time. You're always welcome here. It's good to have you both, fellas. Thanks for being with us on our anniversary. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right, just weeks ago, Thanks, Chris. Democratic presidential candidate Cory Booker, so it was before this happened on Friday, the God forbid that we just lived through, he said, I got a plan to end gun violence. It's a real thing. Any presidential candidate must have one. So let's take a look at it a couple of different ways. Would it have made a difference on Friday? And does that matter? And a third question, how do you get people to do a damn thing about it? There's the senator, his proposed solutions, next. Virginia governor is calling for a special session to take up gun control after 12 people were murdered there on Friday in Virginia Beach. Uh, We tried to get the governor on the show. We tried to get the Republican opposite of his, who immediately right out of the box said, yeah, we'll talk about it. We're going to talk about mandatory minimum uh, sentences for people who use guns in crimes. What does it have to do with this mass shooting? Why are we like this when it comes to this issue? Boom, opposite sides, only in America. Why? The shooting prompted Senator Cory Booker to toss his scripted speech at a big 2020 event. He went all in on a plan to fight gun violence. He's here to make the case to you in a primetime exclusive. Senator Booker, you're always welcome here to make the case to the American people. Thank you for taking the opportunity. It's good. It's good to be on for your year anniversary. Congratulations. Appreciate it. The team deserves it. Uh, So let's let's talk about this uh, Socratically to face the problems you will face. All right. The first one will be what we hear every time. No matter what you're going to put out. And we looked on the website. It's a big plan. It's almost 20 points of policy. Wouldn't have stopped Friday. Wouldn't have stopped Friday. So why do anything? Well, as you said yourself, that's a trap. And we have every single day in America, about 100 people are dying from gun violence. More people in my and your lifetime, uh, in a short 50 or so years, than died in all the, viol- the, the wars uh, in the United States from the Revolutionary War to now combined. Uh, this is a uniquely American problem. The kind of carnage that we have is absolutely unacceptable. And to use one shooting as a reason to unravel an entire plan that we know from the evidence Connecticut did, for example, gun licensing, mm-hmm. uh, and they dropped gun violence over 40 percent, suicides down 15 percent. We know that there are evidence-based things we can do to dramatically, dramatically cut gun violence, but yet we do nothing. So then the next layer of pushback. Well, these guns, under your proposals and under any that we've heard, this man would have been able to buy them. He didn't check any of the boxes that would have flagged them. He didn't buy them immediately. You know, there was nothing about him. So it wouldn't work. This still would have happened. 
Well, again, as I understand it, he used high-capacity magazines. Uh, he had an extender, is, a magazine extender and a suppressor on his handgun. Right. And so there, there, there is a trap again. And again, uh, this is still going to unfold the investigation. But mm-hmm. there's a trap again about using one singular incident to unravel an entire comprehensive plan. Uh, and so, again, I, I live in a community like millions of Americans live in where on the 4th of July, my kids, uh, parents, too many parents report that hearing a firecracker makes your kid evidence post-traumatic stress, people hiding under beds, hiding in the closets, because to them it sounds too familiar, mm. like the sound of gunfire. Yeah, I remember, there was a, I remember when my father said to you many years ago, huh, when you were first getting in politics, kids where you grew up, where he grew up, they hear and are comfortable with the sound of gunfire before they ever understand the sound of an opera or an orchestra. And right. then we have the wrong stimulus going in, we're getting the wrong results coming out. So then you get to the big challenge, uh, Senator, which some say you're uniquely suited to. Nobody wants to do nothing. Look at Virginia. Virginia Beach happens. The governor says he wants a special session. As soon as he mentions it, his political opposite says, oh, I'll talk about it, but I'm talking mandatory minimum sentences. That's where I'm going. How do you get anything done? Well, this is where America, not right or left, America should be up for this fight. Because the overwhelming majority of gun owners agree that if somebody is convicted of stalking their girlfriend, they should not be allowed to go out and buy a weapon. The majority of Americans agree that if somebody is on a terrorist no-fly list, they shouldn't be able to go and buy a weapon. There is so much wide berth of which gun owners, non-gun owners, Republicans, Democrats agree. The problem is the corporate gun lobby has too much of a handle on politicians who are trying to block common sense. We are a time in America where when people died, we changed laws. Mm -hmm. When four girls died in a bombing in a church in Birmingham, we changed laws. When women were throwing themselves out windows at the shirtwaist factory fire, we changed workers' laws and conditions. But yet now we're showing a level of political impotency that's outrageous. People are slaughtered at a concert in Las Vegas. We do nothing. People are slaughtered in a nightclub in Orlando. We do nothing. A, a Pittsburgh synagogue. We do nothing. Children hiding under desks being slaughtered, shot child by child, and we do nothing. How Enough open- of this. How open are you to the issues that affect, especially in these mass shootings that draw the attention? We know they're a very, very small percentage of overall gun crime, and you deal with that in your proposal. There's a lot of gun crime that's not as dramatic and doesn't get the kind of coverage, frankly, that mass shootings do in schools and otherwise. But you have a mental health component without demonizing the mentally ill. You have a culture of violence uh, that comes to play about people wanting to end their own lives by ending the lives of others. Do those have room in your debate as well? Absolutely. We, we need to be a nation that talks about suicides. Uh, every day I said that about 100 people die. It's two to one suicides to non-suicides. And we know that there are evidence-based things that can stop that. We need to stop domestic violence. We're not having enough of a conversation about that. This is something we're not impotent to do something about. My proposals are based on evidence-based measures that have been shown to reduce crime. I know in many urban communities like mine, looking at this as a public health problem and investing in communities things that deal with trauma, things that help people find opportunity, we can make a difference. The problem is, is the corporate gun lobby has so perverted this debate 
They've shifted it so far that, that they literally, most Americans aren't even aware that they've exempted themselves from negligence suits. That if your iPhone blows up and scratches your cornea because of negligence, you have a suit. Well, not for your gun if it's something happens. They've exempted themselves from consumer product safety. They've even exempted themselves from having robust law enforcement. The one law enforcement agency on the federal level that's been kept starved is the ATF. I still remember as a mayor going down to talk with leaders of the ATF, and they told me very candidly that Congress, through their appropriations, has kept them starved of the resources they need to even investigate the laws we have right now. So this ordinarily, is a- I would say, listen, I love your heart and I know your head. But man, this is a tough one because nothing seems to make a difference. I mean, we all know that so much of the hope died in Newtown with those kids when people came out of it as solidified in their positions as ever, even on the mental health side of this. So now there is something new that that keeps me from that cynicism. 16 and 18, you had more next generation voters than you did baby boomers. They put this issue very high, as they do with the environment. Do you think there is a chance that young voters may vote on this issue in a way to force politicians to act out of fear of consequence? The the young voters in this country are blowing me away as I run around uh, the country and campaign. I'm so impressed with them. Uh, But I'll tell you this. We need bold leadership from every corner to start to elevate this issue. Governments are formed uh, for the defense, common defense. And we are seeing in our nation levels of carnage that countries, some countries at war are, are, are not seeing. This is one of those moments where all of us need to be people of hope. And I learned the definition of hope from a woman on the fifth floor of the projects in Newark whose son was murdered in the lobby of a building I would move into. And she taught me that hope is the active conviction that despair will never have the last word. I'm sorry. Our history is full of overcoming filibusters in the Senate when they stopped civil rights legislation and Strom Thurmond did it. You know, it was creative activists that raised the consciousness of this country, expanded our moral imagination and changed the debate of what was possible. This has got to be one of those moments. There's too much carnage being visited on too many neighborhoods now. And I know your father remembers those drills they used to have for for nuclear attacks under your desk. Now our children are going to schools and having the same drills for active shooters. Our children should not live in a country where such fear is being instilled uh, by the constant inaction of, of legislators. It's time we take this debate and not let the corporate gun lobby form it, but that we take this debate, make the argument and make the change. We have the power. It's now time to use it. Those who vote most will win on this issue if they vote on this issue. Now, as you noticed, uh, Senator, only policy tonight. I'm not talking about other people in the race. I didn't even ask you about the president of the United States. We're going to use the show whenever we can as a forum for policy matters that uh, matter to the American people in a moment when they're resonant. You will be on the list of people that we will call and give an opportunity. You take it as you see fit. Chris, I appreciate you. Appreciate that I don't have to get up early in the morning to see anymore. Uh, you're now uh, working my hours. Uh, you're, you're really, this kind of substantive policy discussion, we need a lot more of it and less punditry and more talking about the issues that are important to Americans. Well, I so guarantee you. you we will do it uniquely on this show. Unfortunately, I look no better at night than I did in the morning. <laughs> it has not helped me. Listen, brother, if you shaved your head like me, you wouldn't have to worry about all that product and all that prep. It's you true. You just roll out of bed. I paid a lot of money for this. Pure fair. <laughs> Take care, Senator. Good luck out on the hustings. Thank you, brother. All right. Authorities are still seeking justice for the 17 people killed in the Parkland, Florida shooting tonight. That's interesting, that debate we can't get anywhere. But listen to this development. Do you remember the school resource officer that was really held in low regard because he didn't go into the school? 
He's been charged. He's going on trial. He will be prosecuted. He could be in prison for life. Right move? To make you feel better about the situation in the future. It's complicated. Bring in D. Lemon. Next. Listen, I'm not an answers person, so you tell me what you think about this. Parkland, Florida, you know what I'm talking about. The school resource officer, he was a former deputy sheriff, infamous for waiting outside. That's him highlighted there. His defense was, I thought the shots were coming from outside. Doesn't do the best under scrutiny of fact, that argument. His name is Scott Peterson, and he's now facing a lot of criminal charges. 11 counts, felony, child neglect, his actions or inaction during the shooting, We remember 17 are dead. Not that he's why they are dead specifically. We know that only gets attributed to the gunman. But let's bring in D. Lemon. The arrest warrant notes some 75 shots went off Mm -hmm. after he arrived at the scene. Key part to the analysis. Not talking about you. Not talking about me. We're talking about somebody who's a first responder who was there to do the job of protecting the kids. What do you think of the move? It's tough. I mean, listen, uh, he, you know, the evidence shows that he let the kids down, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but he was outgunned. And so this, this makes me sad. I listened to you and, and Cory Booker talk about uh, this issue of guns. It makes me sad. There are no winners in this situation. You have the people who lost their lives as a result of the shooter. And then you have the, you know, the school resource officer, security officer who's supposed to protect the kids and did not. I just think that there's the only way I can say it is there's no winning with, with any of it. I can't tell you if it's a right move or not. The the legal process played out, and that's what happened. And, yeah, it, but, just, it messes with my head from a policy perspective. Because What are we saying? Our first responders are extraordinary men and women on a regular basis. But they this also is a have rare fear. exception. They have, the, they have they fear. Have they fear. have everything. But they overcome it do. all the time. Yeah. So uh, prosecuting would reinforce a policy. Why? There is no need to reinforce the policy. They are amazingly heroic almost all the time. He was not, arguably. Mm -hmm. But I guess what really gets me is this is what we decide to act on. This This is the move that makes the most sense after a shooting. This is the best we can do. Like I say, it's often misunderstood, but it's true. Only in America do you respond to something like this this way. It's always tough for me to talk about these stories, Chris. Um, you, you weren't here at the time, and I'm sure, I'm sure you covered it for, I think, you were with ABC at the time. But if there's one story that really changed my life and changed me as a person, that's Newtown. Mm. And um, I just remember being there. I remember the last day that I was there, and, and I was thinking, you know, I may get to get out of here today, but I, th- I thought about all the people who didn't, right? And all the people who had to go on and continue their lives without their children, without their family members, and living with this every single day. And one of the last live shots I was doing, I was standing there. And Hearst came by, and you could see, I don't know if I've told you this story before, a mom in the back with her head on the window on one side of the Hearst in the back, dad in the back with one side of his head, his head on one side of the window in the Hearst, and this little tiny white coffin in the back. And I just broke down in tears, and I said, you know, I got to get out of here. So, you know, and I, I, I wasn't even connected to the story in a personal way in the sense that I had someone who I knew there. But it was... It's tough. So that story changed me. And after that, I had to, you know, I went to seek to talk to somebody about what I'd witnessed, what I had seen. I'd been there for a while. And I can only imagine what people, what those folks go through. And I can only imagine the fear from the students, from the teachers, and even from the people who are supposed to be heroic. Even though you take a job as a, as a resource officer in a school, you never think it is actually going to happen, especially in the way that it does happen. But that's your job. 
uh, and yeah. he didn't do it. And we'll let the system go. I just yeah. wish the system would embrace the urgency on all fronts. This is a problem we should throw everything at. Anyway. We, got, we got a couple stories that we're going to talk about that are off the radar. We're going to talk about uh, these, these white supremacist hearings. Uh, in Washington. And then there are a number of transgender women in Dallas who have been killed and or missing. And that story is not getting any attention. We're going to bring a spotlight to it. Good for you. All right, let's take a break. One year anniversary. I have something to say about it. Next. One year Cuomo primetime. Thank you. This is a closing thank you, not an argument because there's only one side. The gratitude I feel is second only to the grace that gave me my family. So many of you have been so generous in reaching out about the show, how to make it better and what you want more of. And we listen, we think, and we grind, and we get better. We get after it, right? And you've seen it. We've lived it together. When the man who helped get the president a pass in the Mueller probe got no pass here. I never said there was no collusion between the campaign or between people in the campaign? Yes, I have, have no idea if I have not. I said the you, president of the United States. We test. We do it to your face. And we work to bring you the facts, even when it's not easy. We have one of the Michael Cohen tapes, the secret recording of President Trump back in 2016, made by Cohen, in which he and then-candidate Trump discuss arrangements surrounding a payment to former Playboy playmate Karen McDougal. Tape was big. We check the president, not with opinion, but proof. Take a look at this. This is the letter of intent for the proposed Trump Tower Moscow. But it's not all political pugilism. We've witnessed history all over this world, the best and worst of humanity. And Dennis Rodman, too. I knew things were going to change. I knew it. I, I was the only one. I never had no one to hear me. I didn't know one had to see me. But I took those bullets, I took all that, I took everything, everyone came at me, and I'm still standing. And today is a great day for everybody, Singapore, Tokyo, China, everything, it's a great day. It is a great day. This is a historic day. I'm so happy. (laughs) He was right. I mean, I, I still can't get over it, but he was right. And yes, it's not always silly. Very often, it's so deadly serious, the problems that we have still yet to face. Thing could be happening in your community. How bizarre is that? Yeah. <laughs> Imagine if this was the best you could do for your kids. And look what they're playing in the middle of. It's worse there now than it was back then. Every time we've gone, it's gotten worse. Every time we report on it, it's gotten worse. And we've still done nothing. But we will not leave it alone. And that's the beauty of the opportunity you've given us. This show has done more and better in this first year by resonance, relevance, ratings than I imagined possible. And it would be absurd for me to look you in the eye and take credit. Here's the truth. Truest thing I've ever said on the show. This show is led by a young woman named Melanie, a fierce fighter, focused. She's in my phone as partner because that's what she is as my EP. And she's got the scars to prove it. She leads the team and tames the dragon. Our seniors, Vaughn, Lila, Melissa, Carolyn, smart, hungry, helpful people. The arguments, the facts, the angles, they are the ones who fuel the fire. Melissa heads up Bonnie and Ben and Dylan. They have the toughest job. They convince people to deal with your boy. 
<laughs> they put the asses in the seats. They do it. They set the table, both sides, whether you like it or not. Because this show is not set up to pander to partisans. It's for the open and the curious and those willing to test what they believe. Chris, Patrick, Charlie, they put the facts in my head. They make the testing as good as it can be on this show. Ethan, Susan, Lauren, Michael, Tyler, Mackenzie, Kisha, Brendan. The video and the graphics and the accuracy of what we say, the very words I mangle, the smooth operation of the whole team, they keep it correct and consistent and creative. The director, Ellie, the whole crew, makeup to camera to floor, the ride home, there is no me without each and all of you. And of course, my producer, Rosalie, the rose of Instagram fame. There she is. She exists. I told you. She's been with me all over the country and the world. She is a constant reminder of what matters in the story and in life. She is invaluable, as are they all. One year, 217 shows. No one outworks this crew. No one cares more than we do about what we do for you. We start in the morning early. We end at night late. These people have families, loved ones, and they sacrifice because they believe. Please allow me to thank them. And my Christina, Bella, Mario, and Carolina. Thank you for letting me do what I think matters. And thank you for helping me to know what that is. Always and in all ways. Mom, Andrew, Margaret, Maria, Madeline, you made me. You pay the price for it. Thank you for the love and the guidance as my family. I thank God for blessing me with family and work family, too. I wear a uniform every night. I repeat the same slogan every night because this is a constant commitment to make a difference to you. Thank you for giving me that chance. One down. Long way to go. God willing. Let's get after it. Thank you for watching CNN Tonight with Don Lemon starts right now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.